Hello and welcome into another episode of Big Raps. It's great to have you with us as we break down all the major sporting stories from across the week and look ahead to what's coming up over the weekend. I'm your host, Narelle Sindos, and joining me for this one, News Hub Sports reporter down in Wellington, Luke Robinson. Hello, Luke. Hey, Ralph. How's it going? Good. A little bit late to this one, but I'm pleased you can make it. Sorry, yeah. We got there at the end. <laughs> and our special guest this week is former Premier League winner and Wellington Phoenix icon, Paul Eiffel. Ivy, thanks so much for your time and joining us on the show. No problem. Uh, have you two actually met before? Our, uh, our relationship has just been Zooms, like um, <laughs> lots of people in this world. Um, Zooms every now and then on the phone. So it's good to see you again, Paul. Always a pleasure, mate. There you go. That was easy. Didn't have to say anything. Yeah. <laughs> no. um, Paul, I'm not sure if you know, though, but the News Hub office down in Wellington, they have a social football team and it's called Foot Hub. And Luke, I understand you haven't actually won a game yet. Well, we tried to get Ivy to play last year. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I um, when, when we were, um, when we were starting last season, but of course he lives so far out of Wellington and I, I don't think he wanted to lower himself to our, our level <laughs> Well, not too there's much still, There's still time. There's still time. Still time. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, before you make the move to Christchurch. Paul, um, congratulations, by the way. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what your new role or roles down there involve? Yeah, um, I'm going to be the head coach of the men's first team. Um, I'm also going to be heading up the women's academy um, that is yet to start, really. There's there's a few um, younger girls that are training in with the boys, um, but we're, we're trying to really set something up so that the, the girls... Um, can train together um, and the ones that, that want to stay in with the boys can so they've got you know the best of both really so really looking forward to it it's, it's not often that you get the opportunity to work full-time in football which is which is something I've, I've wanted to do for a number of years pretty much since retiring so um, yeah I get the opportunity to do that and I'm, I'm looking forward to working with the guys down there it's a really professional setup um, and I think we can do pretty big things. Your crash is a great place but Paul I have to ask what sort of your end goal. I mean, you've been at Wairarapa, you've done great things there and now you're taking up this new opportunity. What would be like the dream job or place that you want to get to now? Um, I'm still still not sure. And I think I was like that as a, as a player. Like my, <laughs> you know, a lot of my mates coming through were like, you know, I want to play in the Premier League. I want to, you know, win the Ballon d'Or, all these different things. And and for me, I just wanted to get better. You know, I did, I did have... Don't get me wrong, I had aspirations as a, when I was really little, you know, at 13, 14, I wanted to play in the FA Cup final, I wanted to play in the Premier League, I was lucky enough to tick them off. Um, wanted to play for England, didn't didn't manage that. Um, but, you know, a lot of my coaches sort of coming through just said, just, just aim to be better each day and, and see where that kind of takes you. And I've kind of had that, my mum always sort of said, you know, what's meant to be is meant to be and, and you'll find yourself, if you work hard, you'll find something along the way and, and stick to what you're good at kind of thing. Um you know, it's, it's funny, I was watching something earlier and it was actually Jimmy Carr talking about people trying to um, make everybody an all-rounder. And, and he was saying, actually, find out what you're good at and, and, and be the best at it. And I kind of thought, well, that's kind of what I've, I've done um, and I'm now doing. You know, I've got so much to learn as a coach. I'm seven years in and, and there's times when it hits you in the face and you realise you know nothing. So um, it's kind of the next step for me. At some point, could I coach in the A-League? I, I think I could. Um, I'm a long way off from that, but you know, with the guys down at Christchurch, that's their ambition. They want to be an A-League team in the future, um, so maybe I can grow with them, um, and that might be something that sort of is on the horizon. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, I, I'm aiming to be a better coach day in day out. That's kind of my my mantra, I suppose. Have you seen Ted Lasso? I think. No, everybody's been talking. I can't get it anywhere. 
And I'm not going to be I'm not going to be streaming illegally, am I? Of course. So yes, yes. <laughs> um, just a question on down in Canterbury, obviously with the men, but you're involved with the women too. How? And I guess how much will you do? Do you expect to see more people, more more you know, younger girls coming through now that we have this this women's Phoenix team that they can sort of aspire to be in? And how excited are you to see that grow? I think it's massive. Uh, you know, again, uh, it's so difficult um, for, for the for the guys to start with. They've got one professional football team to aim at, but the women didn't even have that. So all of a sudden, they've now got something that you know, and and, and you've seen they're not a pre- they're they're more than prepared to bring the youngsters in. There's there's a number of seventeen year olds in the mix already. Um, you know, I, I spoke to a couple. I'm, I'm helping with the capital football women at the moment, and there's a couple of them in there that, in my opinion, are comfortably good enough already. Um, and all of a sudden now, they've actually got you know, a place to show what they can do in, a, in our national league. And, and if they do well over the next season or two, then there's an opportunity of, of trials, contracts, and, and we couldn't speak about that, you know, as little as a couple of months ago. So I'm really excited. It, it gives them, gives us a little bit of a point of difference as well. So um, something for the guys that are going to be in our academy to be able to, you know, properly aspire to be in. Football fans in the country know exactly what sort of player you are on the field. What sort of manager are you like? Um, <laughs> Are you the same, or do you? What do you like to, uh, coaching? I, I'm similar. I, I was always. Um, I'm, I'm a laid back person in general. Some people would say too laid back and, and a bit too nice. But then on the on the flip side of that, when I when I get on the pitch, I'm pretty passionate. I'm. I was always flamboyant. I'd always try things. Probably my coaches would be like, I wish he'd try less at times, but that was that was me. I think that's my Caribbean nature, laid back and, and flamboyant at the same time. So. I like my teams to to think outside the box, to take risks. Um, I'd rather win six five than one nil. I, I don't know if my boss knows that yet, but he'll he'll get to learn that probably pretty quickly. Um, I've got somebody in as an assistant who's going to take care of the defensive side of things. Again, I think going back to it, I think you've got to, got to understand what you're good at as well. Um, and and one thing I've I've learned over the last couple of years is I see the game very differently when I'm watching the attacking phase to the defensive phase. A lot of the times. I'm the sort of coach that's watching the the, the goal go in um, and I'm actually not, not watching what's going on behind the ball. And I've said to my assistant already, look, you need to, I'll be watching the goal. You need to be making sure you're watching what's happening uh, at the back end of the pitch. So, you know, I need, I need to be better at that. Um, and that's, that's a, a growth area for me. But if I can get somebody in who's better than me at that at the moment and learn from him, I think that's important too. And just lastly about your coaching, you, 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 um, you know, you mentioned A-League aspirations full circle back in the Phoenix as a manager is obviously, would, would, would that be a, a dream or, or a goal for you? Um, don't know. Don't know. Never, not really. It sounds stupid, but I'm not really thought about it. I've kind of trodden my own path since I, since I left. Um, probably people don't know this, but it was actually in my contract uh, with the Phoenix that they would provide a role for me when I finished. Um, retired with, with injury and um, I'm still waiting for the phone call. So I was... Uh, and I remember my, my wife, uh, she said to me, look, you've got to contact them. You know, you've got, you've got, got to let them know. And I was, I was way too proud. I was like, look, I've been here a long time. I've played a lot of games. If they don't see the value in having me at the club, I'm, I'm not going to contact them. So um, my phone, I might have changed numbers since those days. So they haven't got my number anymore. But no, that, that's what happened there. Um, yeah, I've always, I've always gone back into the club and, and, and kept an eye on what's going on. Um, and, and it could be a possibility. I'm, but I'm a long way off. Off of that, I've got to I've got to do a lot more. I've got to get better. Um, I still feel like I'm just scratching the surface as a coach. Really, um, seven years in, I think if you if you compare that as seven years in as a player, I didn't know what I was doing. 
um, and learned a lot later on in my career. So it's good as a coach that you realise that you don't know a lot um, and there's so much more to learn. I think that's a pretty cool position to be in. I've got a lot of football knowledge from playing, but how do I get that across to the players? And it's learning that process that I think is important. Sounds like another player that has just left the club. He was promised something with the Phoenix too, but I'm not sure they're going to be calling him back. <laughs> right, no comment. Not ourselves in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not going there. Yeah, I feel, I do have one question though. I mean, I find it interesting that you seem to coach women's and men's like quite seamlessly. Um, if you kind of had to say, apart from the obvious, what is the main difference that you find in coaching men compared to actually coaching um, women? Um, I, I think at the start one of the main things I found was that the women would give you a bit more time. Ultimately, if you're rubbish, you're rubbish and they will quickly work you out. But I think they give you a little bit more time to prove that you're rubbish. Whereas the men, I think the us men, we all think we know better. And I include myself in that. I look back as a player and I, I thought I could coach before I was a coach. Then I started coaching and realized I couldn't coach and thought, actually, this is way more difficult than, than I gave these guys credit for. And I, I've spoken to Ricky Herbert, um, over the last couple of years, we fell out a little bit when when things went awry at the Phoenix. And I actually apologised to him and said, look, I, di- I didn't actually understand how tough your job is trying to deal with people like myself. And I wasn't tough to deal with, but there were some people in that group that were tough to deal with. And yeah, we made it we made it difficult on a daily basis. And, and I see that now. Um, so I, th- I think men are, men are a little bit more needy, um, to be honest. They might like that hearing that, but it's, it's, it's my opinion. Um, and that's why I've enjoyed the, the women's game. But the, the women take things on so quickly. Um, I, I find I have to explain things once with the women and then with the men over and over again. Maybe that's the groups I'm, I'm, I'm working with. I don't know. That might be different. Um, but that's that's what I've found so far. In terms of the training and what they can and can't do, there's not much difference. Obviously, the men's game is always going to be quicker. Um, you know, they're, they're stronger, they're quicker. That's just that's always going to be the case. But in terms of anything I ever ask my groups to do, you know, they can do it. Um, and there's no real, no real issues. And I, I don't like people always comparing the two because I think they're completely different and it, you don't need to compare the two. You know, I love watching Serena Williams, but I love watching Roger Federer just as much. And I don't go, oh, yeah, but if they played each other, who cares? It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Just enjoy them for, for what they are. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, I guess looking here to the weekend and it's the start of the A-League men's season um, and for the Phoenix, well, we know that they're going to be based in Sydney until at least the end of January, Luke, but I can't quite believe just how quickly the season's come about I know we talk about it's like the longest off season but it's just flowing by yeah it has it has for me I I was thinking the same just thinking you know no football is going to be a long time I haven't got to worry about watching anything there's nothing going to be on TV and then all of a sudden we're a couple of days away and it's like where has that gone um I don't know if it's because it's not not been as much news or I I don't know it's it's, it's a weird one but um definitely looking forward to it obviously it's a new look squad for the Phoenix um but a lot of squads in 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 the league have completely changed this year um so I think it's going to be a little different to it to what we're used to. Um, obviously, new teams coming in as well, which which freshens things up, I think, because otherwise it's the same old, same old. Play the same teams three or four times a year is it's pretty boring. So it's nice to see you know they're trying to expand still. Yeah, do we? I know we had a, a magnificent run at the end of last season, um, which I guess we completely put aside, given you know Tails is gone, Early is gone, Tom is gone, Cam Devlin's gone, a bunch of players have gone. What? How high do us as Phoenix, you know, fans, how high should our expectations be, do you think? 
I think we've got to be looking to make the playoffs, but um, that's going to be difficult still. I mean, you look at the teams that are outside of the playoffs last year and they've all strengthened, in my opinion. You know, there's no way that victory are going to be as bad as they were last year. I think that's impossible. Um, with Popper there, there's no chance of that. So teams have strengthened all around us and, and unfortunately we have lost a lot of senior players. Um, but, you know, I've done a couple of interviews over the last few days and said it's a great opportunity for the young guys that you don't expect to step up. Someone, someone will step up and we'll be talking midway through the season about so-and-so and saying, oh, you know, he's been a shining light, he's been great. But hopefully we're talking about a couple of them. Um, you know, it's great that the likes of George Art has got an opportunity. I think he's been brilliant in the Central League. Um, he gets an opportunity. Can, can he do what Ben Wayne did, you know, over the last couple of seasons? Maybe, who knows? And Curtis Morg, another one who's been great in the Central League. Is he ready to play in the A-League? Not yet, but, you know, could, could he step up? I think so. So, it's great for those guys to get that opportunity. They don't get that opportunity if you don't lose the senior guys. So it's a bit of a catch-22. Um, but, you know, the loss of the loss of Taylor, I, I don't think you can measure that. I think he, he was one of the best in the league. De Villa was voted the best in the league, um, pretty much. So I think that's going to be a, a really tough one to replace. Hemed looked like he was just coming into form at the end of the season. And then, you know, you, you go and lose him. So look, there's a lot that's gone. Um, but I think you've got to be optimistic. Talley's been here before. He knows what he's doing. Um, in my opinion, he's one of the best coaches the club's ever had. Uh, and, and they look in a really good space in terms of the, the culture and the environment. And that, that can take you a long way as well. This is what I think. And look, my football, um, you know, expertise is it's definitely not with yours, but we've obviously lost him here, but we get Gary Hooper back, who, you know, when he first came to the club was, you know, banging in goals for fun. We've got still got Reno there. We, we do lose early, but we've still got Reno, who's, you know, up there with one of the most talented players in the league. I think scoring goals and going forward, we're going to be fine. It's defensively where if Ollie can step up from where he was last season and that defence is going to be pretty young, obviously, with Stephen Taylor gone defensively, I think if we do okay defensively, we'll be okay. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I think you're right. Look, I think I think Hooper, if he's fit, is is a great player. You know, he's, he's proven at every single level he's ever stepped up. He always scores goals, so I think you get him chances. Um, and, and again, somebody like Renault is going to be key in that. He has to step up and and be that creative force that that De Villa was. He he kind of was De Villa's support last year. You know, and I, but I think it might suit him that he's now the the go-to guy. He'll get a lot more ball. He'll be expected to do more and maybe he'll thrive on that. At the back end, you look at the back four, it's going to be really young. Um, Tim Payne is probably our most experienced at 26, I think he is now. Not played a lot of A-League games. You know, he definitely is more experienced, but is he ready to lead that back four? He's going to have to. Um, with probably Laws alongside him, Callum, um only young as well, but I think he's going to have a big season. Um, and then, uh, you know, whether it's Sutton at left back, I'm not sure. And and obviously Oli Sale behind. So it's very young. But again, you know, do one of those step up? Are we talking about, you know, Laws, for instance, I thought he was great last year when he came in at times, but he was normally playing, again, playing alongside Stephen Taylor, who was putting an arm around his shoulder, looking after him, talking, through, talking him through the game. Tim Payne's now got to be that guy, you know, and, and we don't expect him to be Stephen Taylor, but... Can he can he can he look after Laws? Can he look after Callum potentially to his right and and really command that that back four? And and, and if, if I think you're right, if they can sort that that part of the pitch out, I think you know in midfield they've got good creative players um, and then they'd be fine up front. So it could be one of them where we're not expected to do much from the outside, um, but I think Talley will expect or be given the message that we're good enough, um, you know, inside the four walls, and and we could surprise a few. 
Yeah, well, it seems like the, I mean, I don't know how much, I guess, weight and bearing can take from the preseason results, but it seems like everyone's been beating everyone. You know, mm. the Knicks have had a few good wins and that loss last week, Rupert Tully said that that was the best he's seen them play and Lawsy was playing like defensive mid or something. So we could see, I guess, a completely different starting 11 than what a lot of people are predicting online. But Luke, you and I obviously followed the Knicks last year as well. How important is it that they start with a good run of form because we saw how it came back to bite them in the ass basically this season, right? Do you, so, I mean, we don't want to give them, I guess, not excuses, but last season we're like, oh, you know, it's like a new team, give them time, give them time, but now we know that you can't really afford that time. Yeah, and I think it's um, we sort of gave them the Australians excuse, you know, they had to move yeah. over, okay, be away from families, which granted is very hard, but they've done it before. They've been over there. They've had a preseason you know, they were together in Wellington for a long time. Um, to, to answer your question, the start, it's, it's, it's massive. Like, MacArthur, they're going to be up for this. MacArthur have been atrocious in preseason, but on paper look like one of the best teams in the league. Um, you know, obviously, Uli's there. He's the captain now. You know, you don't have to look much further than that in terms of motivation. But um, if, if they can get back to New Zealand when they want to get back to New Zealand and they can have sort of two or three wins under their belt, that first game in, in Wellington or in, in Auckland, wherever it's going to be, it's going to be massive. So to answer your question, the start the first three games at least are huge. So, Paul, I'm going to put you on the spot now. Obviously, we're going to see all those Australian pundits come out and, you know, they do that predictor from the table and stuff like that. Where do you see the Knicks sitting at the end of the season? I think, I think fifth or sixth. And I think that would be pretty, pretty, pretty good spot. You know, I, th- I think we've got to get in, and once we're in, I think you know we'll we'll fancy our chances against anybody. Um, it's you know you've got the, the usual suspects. I think are going to be up there. The Melbourne Melbourne City are going to be strong again. Sydney are always strong. So I think there's a pick out of those two for, for the top spot. Like you said, Macarthur on paper looked really, really strong. If Daniel Sturridge hits the ground running at Perth, he's going to take some stopping. You know, he's in England's national nearly <laughs> thirty-two. Yeah, yeah. No, well, that's the thing, because Perth are not really being talked about. But he's sort yeah, of coming no. late in the piece. But if he's fit, he could rip the league up. Like, you know, he's, I think he's only 32. It's, it's crazy that he was nearly lost to the game uh, yeah. and hasn't played since he's 30. You know, I, I, somebody should have taken a chance on him a couple of years ago. I mean, I think he's going to be great, great for, for football in the A-League. But so there's a lot of teams with, with big players that I expect to be there. Um, and then I think we'll be in the mix with a few of the others that like to potentially Adelaide and Brisbane who are also going to be probably not quite right at the top, but we fighting out for that fifth and sixth position. So if, if we're somewhere around that, then I, th- I think that's a pretty decent season considering what we've lost. Um, and it will give a, a number of minutes to some young players as well. And I think it's, again, it probably won't be said and we don't want to give too many excuses, but it's almost a transitional year that we've lost a few. Can we make sure yeah. maintain what we've built, um, build on that and, and then make sure that we're a, a playoff team going forward? And I think it'll be easier to recruit next year, you know, when, when hopefully the borders are open, COVID's done one or we're, we're back to almost back to normal. Um, and, you know, because it's so difficult to recruit at the moment, um, especially it's always been difficult to recruit in New Zealand or harder than the other A-League clubs. And now we find it, you know, doubly when, when other clubs are nicking our best talent as well, which has always been the case really. Yeah, I think there's still, what, three visa spots left unfilled. Mm. Um, but Luke, I'm going to ask you that same question. Predictions, where do you see the next finishing up? I'm prepared for this answer. Um, Seven. Oh my god, you've gone to a lot of the events. Oh, look, I've got really high hopes, as I said before, for our attackers and midfielders. Uh, I think we're going to win or lose a lot of games 4 3 this season, um, or you know, some sort of game, you know, that, that sort of four life or managerial sort of game wise, <laughs> score lots of goals. Um, 
No, I'm, and, and just to go back to what Mikey was saying before in terms of COVID and how hard it's been done in transitional year, without disrespecting any other, you know, former coaches, Ufo Tale and sort of any other era, I think would have been absolutely unbelievable for this team. But he just hasn't had a chance to find his feet and get a settled team. And, you know, it's just been so hard for him. But to answer your question, seventh, I think, heartbreak. We missed the playoffs by a couple of points. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, my hopes are as high as they can be for this team. Okay, well, I think I'm going to go with Ivy and say, yeah, fifth or sixth. I don't think they'll quite get that top four spot, even though that would be nice. But I think they'll make playoffs. So if I'm going to screenshot that, by the way, because that's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess sticking with football, guys, all whites, four from four. Uh, obviously, we didn't get to watch that game against Algeria A, but uh, that match against the Gambia, I guess, pretty impressive. And it's been talked about a lot. You know, where will some of these A-League players fit into the team? Um, and I guess that's the debate for the coaches and the likes of Danny Hay. But I guess my question is, I think, is that some of those players who have been in the all-white squad recently, I'm just not sure if the leagues that they're playing in over in Scandinavia, would is that the same level as the A-League? That's something I can't quite get the gist of. Not like I've watched a Scandinavian game, by the way, but just what you see online and the goals, you're like, oh, that looks a bit easy. What's your take on that? Yeah, I, I find it really a struggle. I've kind of worked out where I think the A-League is in, in, in terms of England. Yep. Um, but but Scandinavia is, is a little new to me because you know when I was coming through, football was England, yeah. a little bit in Spain, a little bit in Italy, and that was it. You know, yeah. pretty much. And then Germany sort of came around, and France, and social media came, and now everything's so close and, and easy. You know, you you would never have gone to the Swedish second division. It wouldn't have even been a, a question of anybody going there. You know, it just didn't happen. Um, it didn't have foreigners, so that's also new. Um, I look at someone like a Callum McCowart. Um, I thought he was good in the A-League. Um, didn't rip it up, was good. He's over there, he's playing a little more. He's looking like he's having a bit more influence. Now, is that because he's got better? Or is that because the league's a little better? So it's it's really difficult. But then you watch Elijah Just and Callum McCout when they play for the All-Whites and they look more than comfortable. Um, Joe Bell's doing well, but obviously he's at, he's at the next level up from, from those two. Uh, Marco Stamanich as well has gone in as, as, a, as a young kid and he, he looks like he's been playing, looks like he's played a hundred times for the All-Whites. So so comfortable, he's a, he's a quality player. But yeah, it, it really is hard to judge. I think their their next move, uh, the likes of Callum and Elijah, or if they got promoted, then you'd be able to go, right, that's probably, they're probably a, a step above um, where the A-League currently is. Yeah, and Luke, um, I think you were on one of the Danny Hay Zoom conferences during the week and he said that they want tough opposition come the next window. How crucial do you think that is? Yeah, and this is what I've been chatting about with, you know, my mates and other football fans. Um, I don't care that it was the Gambia or Algeria or whoever it was in this international window. The fact is we won every game. We were playing, albeit not as a you know full squad, but, you know, the, the All-Whites were still playing. We've had the Olympics. We've got this. If we can get, you know, two quality you know, opposition in January in this next window, that would hold us in massive stead for, for the March World Cup qualifiers. And I think Danny Hay and, and the players have a real belief, a genuine belief that the, that the way of, that, you know, the, the, the brand and the style of football they're playing, you know, can they can do something special come March, April. But January is, is huge. And, and Danny was pretty confident about, you know, teams that he thinks would want to come and play us or teams that would, would play us. So I think those games would be huge leading into March. Yeah, I've got a question though. So obviously a lot of people are loving this all-white side at the moment. Do you think that that team against Gambia would have been able to defeat Peru come 
the last intercontinental playoffs if you had to compare. I know it was like four years ago now, but I just wondered. I was like, hmm, I wonder how that would go. Not, not yet, not yet. But I, I, I think the signs are really, really promising. I, I think it's the best group um, that I've seen in the time I've been in the country. I, I, again, when I when I turned up ten years ago, you couldn't have had a European based or white squad. It was mm-hmm. impossible. You know, you'd be backpackers. So the fact that we're no, but the fact that we're actually looking at and saying, you know, you've got Marco Rojas, Costa Barbarousis, Clayton. Um, there's a long list of guys that are starring almost in the A League. That are, that are saying, you know, pick me for the next one when when, I, when when I'm allowed. And, you know, before, if you played for the Phoenix, you were in the all-white. So it was almost a given. Um, yeah. And we're not at that stage now. All of a sudden, Danny's got players to pick from. And I think that's massive. And I think you can just see, you look at someone like Chris Wood, five, six years ago, Chris Wood would have been thinking, do I really want to go and play for the all-whites? Like, I'm, I'm a Premier League player. Do I want to step down to that level? Do I want to get injured? He looks like he's having a great time. He's playing with a smile on his face. He's getting chances. He's leading the line. He looks reinvigorated. I know he's having a good time, obviously at Burnley, which which helps. But he wouldn't he wouldn't make himself available if he didn't feel that there was a, a good environment or a chance to potentially play at a World Cup. So it's, it's great when you've got guys like him and Winston Reid. Obviously, he's out of contracts at the moment, but he's looking fighting fit. He he's back. He'll no doubt get somebody in get somewhere in in January. Um, and that will lead in nicely to you've got the two leaders hopefully fit and ready to go in these in these next games, which, like you said, I think is massive. Can I just touch on Chris Wood? How back in New Zealand, how underrated is he in terms of his service? Like he's he's at Burnley, he's in a relegation fight for the last few years, you know, to keep his club in the Premier League. Whereas you know, in in the international window, he's going to play against the Gambia and Algeria. He's going to the Olympics with you know these with these young kids. How how much do we not appreciate what he does for football and for the All Whites jersey? Oh, he's, he's absolutely massive. Like probably second, second or third to Winton and and, and Ryan, really, um, and, and and could well overtake Ryan. Winton probably not. Um, you know, I think what Winton did in terms of his, his goal scoring exploits and trophies won is is hard to go past. But but Chris, ten goals in the Premier League every season—that's ridiculous. You know, uh, I look. I, I don't think I had ten shots in the time I played in the Premier League and, and the guy scoring 10 goals is, is actually remarkable what he does and it's such a unfashionable team that play a certain style of football um, that's not particularly pretty but he's, he's so effective at it and, he, and he's proven that he can play any style of football you know he's come in and, and the All-Whites now are trying to play a little bit differently and, and he's he's taken to it you can, you can see what a quality player he is and what I do like as well is he makes others around him better you know, it's all very well coming in and being the focal point and everything's about Chris Wood, but he doesn't seem to be that guy. He seems to take, you know, people under his wing, always talking to the guys around him. You know, the likes of Callum McCower and Elijah just must absolutely love Sarpreet Singh playing with a guy like that who's, who's done it at that top level for years. And I think his path as well has probably led to him being a bit more humble. There was, you know, he, he went over there. It was tough for him at first. He was seen as a guy who was a good championship player, but would couldn't quite cut it in the Premier League. Every time he went in, he didn't quite score enough goals. He had to go back down, rip it up in the championship again. Up he went and he, he stayed there ever since. So he, he's probably really appreciative of where he is as well. And, and you know, those tough pathways sometimes make you a, a better person. And I think he, he just adds so much to the, to the team and to the squad. Yeah, this is a guy that would have kept Harry Kane and Jamie Vardy on the list of bench, didn't he? <laughs> exactly. 
Uh, so if everyone's finished with the all whites chat, we'll move on. I feel like this has turned into the football show. Hey, the bosses are going to be like, what did you just do? <laughs> uh, but we're going to move on to cricket. And um, Luke, I'll get you to talk about this because you were up at three and watching the Black Caps play in the T20 World Cup final against Australia. I did set my alarm for like 3.30 and then 4.30, but I kept falling back asleep. Fake fan, I know. Here we go. Uh, but look, it just seems like, you know, we talk about how they've made the three format finals in the last like three years, but we've only won one of them. So it just makes me think that perhaps the Black Caps seem to choke when it comes to like the one day winner takes all scenario. Would they right in saying that? Wow, that's um that's a controversial statement. Um, it's I mean, and if you look from the outside, they lost in twenty nineteen, they won the test championship and we lost the other night. But if you actually look at what happened in 2019, obviously we know what happened. We didn't actually lose. Um, it was a draw. But, yeah, and I, and I think, like, there is an argument where, where you're coming from. You know, to get to the finals is great, and now I think the Black Caps are seen globally as this team that is no longer punching above their weight. We're no longer the underdogs. We get into these finals. We're now building depth. So when we get to these big moments, we do need to be winning trophies. Um, I, I can see where, where you're coming from. But to play devil's advocate, this is the subcontinent with, you know, it was played in Abu Dhabi in the UAE and we've got New Zealand and Australia in the final, you know, no England, which is a world number one team, and you know, best team in the world, no Pakistan, no India, who thrive on these conditions. I think we did well just to get to that final. And yes, we hate losing to Australia and they would thoroughly outclassed us all game. But for us to get there in those circumstances was, was still pretty bloody good. Okay, I'm not sure how big of a cricket fan you are, um, but did that hurt at all watching the Black Caps lose that final, or were you not too bothered? Uh, not too bothered. I, I jump on the bandwagon. If 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 England are winning, I'm English, and if the West Indies ever win, which they haven't for years, then I'm West Indian. So when the West Indies play England, I can claim a win there. Um, but that that's pretty much it. Cricket, cricket too long. I, I like the short, the 2020 stuff. Uh, one dayers, um, you know. Big bash, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. But the tests, test for me. Uh, I don't mind the Ashes. That's that's a lot of fun because you're playing the Aussies, and a, a chance to beat them is, is always good. Um, but yeah, I, I don't follow too much of, of the stuff over here. Yeah, no, fair enough. What about um, rugby? Do you have like a NPC domestic team that you tend to follow? No, not really. I, I do like like watching the All Blacks. I have to say, it's more about the experience. I think, and you know, you, you get sucked into the to the hacker at the start, and then all of a sudden you're in, and, and before you know it, you're talking all sorts of terms that you didn't even know you you understood. Um, so, so that's always fun. Um, obviously, my local my local team of the Wairapa Bush not had a, not had a great year this year at all. Um, so I think that there, there'll be some changes there. Um, but yeah, again, my, my, Ellie's family, my wife, they're, they're rugby, massively rugby. So we've, we've always been at loggerheads. I've always said that, that football's far superior sport and they tend to disagree. It's like the lifelong debate, I guess, in New Zealand, isn't it? Especially with us football fans. Um, Luke, but there are a few finals this weekend. The Championship final and the Premiership final. Uh, Tasman can um, do the three-peat. Yeah, and I can't see them losing. Um, you know, they've They've been the baby brothers of Canterbury for so long, but I think they've sort of emerged as, you know, the, the star power team in the South Island, certainly in New Zealand. Um, you know, without even without All Blacks, they're, you know, top heavy and stars everywhere. It'd be great to see them win three in a row. You know, this is a this is a team that is, is very new. Um, they've only had a few, you know, shield challenges in there. I think they've probably, if they win this week, they've probably had more winning titles than they have shield challenges. But just goes to show how, you know, much they've been around. And then, Tarunaki, it'd be great to see them win, wouldn't it? Yeah, but I was talking to their coach, Neil Barnes, during the weekend. Um, 
I'd be, um, I'll just keep you updated. So basically, yeah, so Taranaki playing in the championship final, but this season there's no promotion relegation because of COVID and a lot of teams couldn't play. And he was like quite clearly not happy with that whatsoever. He's like, I mean, still it's a final and to win it still be a great achievement for like the community and stuff. I've had a pretty hard time, but he's like, I just think it needs to be scrapped altogether. I mean, these teams play teams that are in the premiership. It's not like in England where it's like, if you're in the Premier League, you just play Premier League teams and same with the championship. So I think it needs to go. I don't know what you feel about that, Lou. Am I just by my own Imagine, imagine COVID. Imagine COVID happening in England and then you have to go down to Bournemouth or to Norwich or wherever it may be and say, you can't go to the Premier League this season. How would that go down? I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, not well at all. Yeah, no. I can see. Yeah, when you look at it from that point of view, yeah, maybe, maybe you do have to scrap it. But I, I, I think with the with the way the world is at the moment, um, you've got to do things a little bit differently. I, mean, I look at our, yeah. our national league. You know, it's I know it's a completely different scale and different level, but the teams that are in it, they they, they qualified on merit. You know, someone like a Selwyn, for instance, who. who who yeah. got in the back door and, and may never do it again. Like a magnificent story, the fact that they maybe wouldn't be in it. I think they're, they're more than happy to be playing there, whatever they, I think it's eight games or, or whatever. So, you know, if they win it, I'm sure they'll be shouting it from the rooftops. Yeah, yeah, that's a real shame, actually. Hey, I was thinking about that the other day. It's almost like New Zealand football would be nice if they could say, oh, all the teams who are qualified, you've got automatic spot into next season. But then it's like the Winter League would sort of be null. But then it's always been like that. So... I don't know. I see both sides of that. As I, th- well. I think you could. I think you could find a way for a year to do a little hybrid, so that so the teams that have got in this year get in, um, yeah. and maybe there's some kind of qualifier, so that the top teams from um, the Central League and, and and the Southern League play off, and you maybe add an extra two, so you might have twelve teams or something. So it so it gives yeah. it gives the ones that have actually qualified um, an, another chance, but it still gives the ones that haven't uh, a little carrot to try and get in there because it, whichever way they do it, it's, it's going to be unfair to somebody. I'm sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, well, I guess our last topic of discussion is golf. And I, actually, I don't know if you know this, but Luke's pretty good at golf. Hey, Luke, what's your handicap again? No, I used to be good. I'm currently on a three, but that's just what it is on paper. So. Yeah, well, I think that sounds good. Um, but anyways, Lydia Coe and Stephen Alka, hey, doing great things on the world stage. And Stephen Alka's what? I think he's 50. I see. How old are you? No, joking. <laughs> hey, same year. Same year as him at school. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, no, I'm Luke, 42, 42. Oh, yeah, nice. But look, it's pretty cool to see, I guess, Stephen Alka. I think this is his first season on, like, is it called the senior, like the seniors tournament or something like that? Yeah, it's the, it's the, the champions tour. I think it's oh, the old, sorry. But it's the, it's the, you know, kind way of saying the over 50. So you've got to be 50 to be on the tour. So I feel you've still got eight or so years to, <laughs> you know, shine the clubs up. But no, this is a guy who has been battling away his whole career on the sort of Corn Ferry Tour, which is the, the, the tier below the PGA Tour. Since he's turned 50, he's gone on to the, you know, the, the PGA Champions Tour, um, the Senior Tour, and he's had 10, event, 10 events this year, and he's had nine top 10s. Um, and the event he didn't top 10, it was 16. Like, he's amassed about $1.3 million in the 10 events that he's played, which is more than he did in his whole career before he turned 50. So um, he's a hell of a story. He's one of the you know, breakthrough or comeback stories, whatever you'd like to say, of, of yeah. New Zealand athletes this year. It's just been great to watch. Yeah, I think, why is it that footballers tend to play golf? I mean, it would be hard to get injured, but I just feel like whenever they're not playing football, you're on a golf course. Are you ever golf then or no? No, I went the wrong way. I, I, was, a, I was a gambler. So, I, <laughs> or, no, you, honestly, you either, you either gamble or you play golf. 
and I wish I'd have played golf because I had a lot more money in the account um, that, than I currently have. So it was definitely the wrong one for me. But that, that was it. When you when you came through, I remember being sort of 17, 18. And I can remember the day that, that I went into the bookmakers and, and had my first bet. And, and honestly, my friends had gone to the golf course that day, six of them had played. But I, I was so bad at golf. I just I just couldn't couldn't take to it. I was quite a good sports person growing up. So most sports I'd pick up straight away and I just could not understand how I couldn't make that little ball go where it was supposed to go. And I was in and out of the bushes so often it was like, this is just a waste of waste of my time and, and effort really. So I think I think it's I think what you said there is right. It's it's a way to get away. It it does keep you fit. It's almost a recovery one because you're just walking around you're using other parts of your body that you don't use when you're playing football. So the, the coaches are pretty cool with with the boys doing that. We would have a day off to to play golf most most weeks, actually, when I was playing. So, I, I, again, I, I went off to the bookmakers while, while my mates went to the golf course. I like how you call it bookmakers. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's what it was growing up. Yeah, because here, here is the TAB, but at home, there's there's about a thousand different places, you know? Yeah. You can literally bid on everything there. Hey, like it's, that's ridiculous. Things. Yeah. yeah. My favorite um, about, you know, being in England for, because obviously being a Kiwi footballers, you set your alarm for 2am and you watch the Premier League. If your team's playing, whereas England, it's, you make a whole day of it because it's the afternoon, you know, you sit down at a pub with your six multis on your piece of paper and you watch soccer Saturday and you know, it's a, it's a lifestyle and, and, and you can, you can see, where either your downtimes at the golf course or your downtimes at William Hill or something, you know? Yeah, yeah we, we, we used to do that. We used to do that with, with my mates. They, they'd love when I was not in the squad, which sounds stupid. So if they had to come and watch me, they, they would. But if I wasn't in the squad, they'd be like, right, let's, let's go. We'll go and get our bets on in the morning. And we would do the same thing. You'd go and do your multis. And then we'd go to the local pub. You'd have something to eat for lunch. You'd have a couple of beers. You'd watch all the football come in and hopefully win a multi. And then off, off for a night out um, and then back in on the Monday morning to try and get back in the squad the next week so they'll have to come the following week. Just very quickly before you move on, because I know you want to get off this um, gambling and, and punting chat, but we did, um, I had a couple of mates from England and I don't know if this was a thing, but it was whoever scored the first goal of Soccer Saturday, that's where you'd go out that night. <laughs> uh, we did it for two weekends. The first weekend was Chelsea. We, we scored first against Stoke and the night out in Chelsea cost, you know, a lot of money. And then the second night was... Well, the second meet was Swansea, so we're off to Wales and had a night out in Swansea. It's a great way to play. I like that. I, th- I, th- I think that's very good. Very, very, very good. I'd be a big fan of that. <laughs> yeah, I think Luke's a pretty big gambler, by the way. You watch all the crazy <laughs> stuff, don't you, Luke? I really understand it. Sorry to out you like that. Um, but we are getting to the podcast, guys, and each week we do our MVPs of the week. Uh, Luke, I'll let you go first, seeing as you always give me grief for going first. So away you go. Yeah, well, I, I tossed up a few this week and I've already touched on who it's going to be. But it's going to be Chris Wood. Um, just, you know, the, the service he gives um, year in, year out, he doesn't have to. You know, he's the he's the biggest he's the biggest name we have in the sport in New Zealand. He doesn't have to come and play. Um, and he certainly didn't have to go to the Olympics or he didn't have to play against the Gambia or whatever. But he comes, he scores goals. He seems like a hell of a guy and he's keeping his team up in promotion for the last couple of seasons. So it's Chris Wood. Nice, nice. I think who have does, you gone for? Though? Does he have to be a Kiwi? No. No. Okay. Well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go back to England. I'm going to Raheem Sterling. Um, I think it was announced overnight that he's he set up a foundation for underprivileged kids, and um, there was there was there's pictures everywhere. I mean, you can Google it online, but I think people like that and Marcus Rashford using their platforms like it's, it's so different, um, and it's so good to see that these guys take the time to to give a little back. 
I think it helps that, you know, both of them in particular came from pretty underprivileged backgrounds. So they, they, they've lived it, they understand it, they can empathise. And I think, you know, if you can give back their role models and, I, and it's nice to be able to see that they can, they can do that. So for me, uh, Raheem Sterling, who I'm not a big fan of as a, as a player, but as a person, he's, he's certainly uh, hitting the heights. Nice. Well, I'm going to go for someone that we've already spoken about too. Not football related though, uh, Stephen Alco, just basically showing that it's never, I guess, too late to be good at something. Gives me a lot of hope. Hey, maybe I could still crack the football ferns. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, thank you so much for joining us and all the best down in Christchurch. It was lovely to have you on the show. No worries. Anytime. I enjoyed it.